morning, guys. Um, well, confession is uh, what we talk about today may actually step on some toes, and uh, sometimes pastors can almost make that like a uh, uh, like a badge of honor kind of thing, and that's not really the, the way I want to take this. I just I just think sometimes we can we can get distracted. Uh, even as professional Christians, you know, people have been around church for a while. I think we can we can forget it. What's what's wild about the whole Christmas? There's a lot of things interesting about the whole Christmas, uh, the first Christmas story. Uh, but what's what's wild to me is that this the most um, um, incredible thing to happen in all of creation since creation, right? The infinite becoming finite, <clears throat> God becoming man, right? Bethlehem is busy. It's it's packed. The town is packed. So think like Times Square uh, during. Uh, New Year's Eve, think Disney during Christmas, or I guess any day uh, at this point, right? The town is packed. It's packed. There's hustle and bustle. And then off the beaten path, a couple streets over, you get this sense is there's this uh, barn, cave, back house, something uh, that's meant to house animals, and today it houses uh, a couple. And uh, the king of the universe entered the creation as a baby, Again, it's amazing, like once in eternity event, right? We sing songs about it today, but no one was singing songs about it then. It was a whole lot of strange, confusing questions in that moment. And the crazy thing is that except for a couple people and some farm animals, everyone missed it. Everyone completely missed it. The most amazing thing that happened ever, and everyone pretty much missed it. So here's my challenge to us. In the middle of gifts, in the middle of family parties, in the middle of events and white elephant gift exchanges and secret Santas and in the middle of church services and in the middle of all that, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Take some time in the middle of church services to experience the God of the church. Um, I know for me, I mean, this is one of the busiest seasons for anybody in ministry. I mean, we're just trying to keep our head above water. Uh, but in the middle of all that, I can easily get, to, I mean, easily get to the Christmas season talking about Jesus a bunch, but never even having a conversation with Jesus. Never even experiencing the whole Christmas story for myself, even though I set the table for other people. So uh, just want to challenge you with that. Here's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at Mary's perspective of the Christmas story. You guys ever watched the, um, uh, the old movie Vantage Point? You guys ever heard of that movie? So there's this older movie I highly recommend. I can't remember if it's good or not. I think I remember, I remember liking it, but I don't remember if it's good. So like don't, you know, look it up on Rotten Tomatoes. But anyways, uh, the whole idea of Vantage Point is I think it's like this. There's a situation that happens. I think it's like an assassination attempt or something like that, right? So, and then what happens is you, you don't realize that you're looking at it from one person's perspective. And then it rewinds and goes through another person's perspective. And then rewinds and goes through another person's perspective. And then you, as each perspective unfolds, you kind of get a fuller picture of the whole thing. And a lot of times, um, we see the Christmas story through other people's perspectives, but I wanted to really drill in to Mary's perspective. What was it like to walk in her shoes? What was it like to experience the Christmas story through her eyes? Right? So a question, I actually do want to hear from you, uh, so feel free to talk out loud here. But if you saw someone say, uh, hey, I feel, you know, I'm blessed today, or you saw a social media post, you know, I'm blessed, hashtag blessed or whatever, what would you expect to see them talking about? What's that? Yeah, for sure. Like, what, what, what do you think they would be posting about if they said, I'm so blessed, I got to tell you about it? 
Free Starbucks, yeah, that'd be definitely a blessing, yeah. What else? There's no wrong answer, like I'm not going to be baited into this thing. They won the jackpot, yeah. They won the big one. Yeah, what else? Got a new car. He was like, yes, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. It'd be weird if an adult was born, but yeah, a baby was born. <laughs> My grandfather was born this morning. Yeah. What's, what's wild is we're going to see... When we, and it's not, there's nothing wrong, when we think of blessing, when we think of favor, we tend to think of positive things, right? I want to kind of mess up your theology a little bit. One of the things we talk about at, in, back at our, our home, my home church is we say that the teaching is not to inform you, we want to bother you. We want to bother you. So we want to give you something to talk about at lunch. We want to give you something that will hopefully keep you up at night. That's going to go, oh, well, if that's true, then that really messes up a lot of what I uh, believe. And so I hope this morning does that a little bit for you. We have this idea that being blessed means everything is going great. Having the favor of God means everything is going great. No one ever says, hashtag blessed, I lost my job today. Right? No one ever says, man, my car broke down, I am blessed. No one ever says that. And we're about to see that maybe that would be a perspective that Mary would have. Maybe that'd be a perspective that Jesus would have. And so we got Mary, right? Mary is blessed and highly favored, the Bible says. But you know Mary's also the first person to experience shame for Jesus? Mary's the first person to experience ridicule for him. She had to follow God's plan when it made no sense, when it wasn't fair. Mary had to follow God when she didn't feel like she was blessed, when she, she didn't feel like she was highly favored. And for Mary to follow God... She had to give up one word, and that word is control. Now, I don't know where you're at. I'm a control freak, right? I'm, I'm gone from terrible to pretty bad. I don't know whether it's uh, I didn't need to blame my parents or my genetics or the way I was raised or my whatever, but for whatever reason, I like to control things, and that's I actually been used almost as a badge of honor in my household, right? If you, you control, you're, you're being proactive, it's hustle, it's... You know, it's, it's good leadership, you're a good manager, but actually it's, it's well, we'll talk about it, right? So how, how, raise your hand if you feel like there's an area of your life uh, that you like to have control in. Yeah, right? And if you're, if you're going, man, I want to lift up the hand of the person next to me, or man, there's someone that needs to listen to this, they need, I need to send them the link to this afterwards, and that's maybe an area you're trying to control too, right? So we're going to dive into the Christmas story, and my prayer is that you'll find yourself in the story. My prayer is that you'll find that the story is still being played out today in your life. And so we're going to start with Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Greetings, favored woman. Other translations say you are blessed and highly favored. The Lord is with you. That's really important language. You're favored. The Lord is with you. And then it says, confused and disturbed. Confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. See, some of us, if we're honest, I know we can put our mask on at church, but if we're honest behind the scenes, maybe right before church, in the car, Right, as you're getting ready this morning, last night, you're confused and disturbed. You're asking questions. You're praying, God, how could this happen? This is not going the way I wanted it to go in your personal life, with things with the church, with your business, with 
You're looking at your, your retirement account. It's not going the way you want it to go, right? You're going, God, why did, this, why did you let it happen this way? I can't handle what's going on right now. I need to figure this out. I never thought I'd come to this. I can't control this. Maybe you're realizing that control is just an illusion anyways. Things that you thought you could control realize that you actually can't. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's, it's honestly, it's one of those things to where you feel good about it for a moment, right? You feel good and then you remember that thing that wears your heart down. That thing that kind of is an anchor on your soul. And if someone were watching your face in that moment when you remembered that thing, they could literally see your countenance drop. As you remember, God, what the heck is going on? Like, this is not what I wanted. And so if it continues. The next verse, verse 30, it says, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive a son and give, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He'll be very great and we call the son of the most high. The Lord, God, the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. He'll reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, obvious question, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. I've been to bio. Uh, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he'll be called the son of God. We kind of look at the Cliff Notes version of this, but Mary didn't hear that and reply, you know what, this is really inconvenient for me. I don't know about you, that's how I would reply if I was Mary. This is really inconvenient. I have a five-year plan. I don't know about you, but when I, when I got into eighth grade, eighth grade graduation rather, my dad gave me a Daytimer brand Daytimer, like, like, like the pleather one with like the snap cover, right? Came with a VHS tape to show you how to use, you know, your your uh, quadrants of, you know, uh, what was it? This urgent, important, like that whole two-by-two two grid, right? Every eighth grader needs to know this. Uh, and so five-year, one-year, five-year, ten-year plans were super big back then, which, like, what eighth grader has a ten-year plan, right? So anyways, um, but so Mary's going, this isn't part of my five-year plan. This isn't what I dreamed. I have a dream board in my room, and this is not part of the plan, this is not what my parents wanted for me, for me to be pregnant in my wedding dress. I don't think that was my mom's dream for me. Right? This isn't what Mary said. What Mary said was, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. May everything happen, may everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Another translation says, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Let it be. Let it be. And I want you to understand the dichotomy. Really let it, let it camp on this for a moment. Confused, disturbed, let it be. Confused. There's no plan. There's no clarity. You know, we believe as leaders, like, clarity is kindness. There's no clarity here. And if someone's, if someone's kind of muddy in their leadership to me, to me, that's unkind leadership. This is the way God is leading Mary. No clarity, no peace, right? Sometimes we say, oh, well, as long as there's peace, you know, I know this is God's will because I, I have a peace about it. No peace, right? Confused and disturbed, let it be. Also, blessed and highly favored, yet confused and disturbed. Blessed and highly favored, yet confused and disturbed. Let it be. A lot of times we can think that if you're blessed, you won't be confused. 
If you're, if you're highly favored, you're not going to be disturbed. And that is not scriptural. See, a lot of times we can think that if we're following God, we're going to retire with this fat 401k on a ranch somewhere with two and a half kids running around and grandkids and a little golden retriever. That's not the story of the gospel. Because that's none of the stories of the, the early church leaders. Every single early church apostle, many leaders in that first century church were executed. Right? Center of God's will. Confused, disturbed, but God let it be. If you're listening to this, you're going, man, this is the perfect message for my spouse, my boss, my daughter, right? Because, man, they're controlling, not me. I'm not controlling. I'm just aggressively helpful. That's me. There's so many times where I've tried to be, you know, my, my wife's like, why are you trying to control this? I'm like, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just being aggressively helpful. But a lot of us, I mean, if you're honest, right, you try to control everything. Maybe you're smarter the way you do, about, do it now than you, than you were when you were younger, but you try to control everything. You try to control where your kids wear, who they hang out with, where they go, where they go to school. You can try to, try to control people around you. You notice and judge what they say, how they chew, what they believe, what condition they keep their car in. You may not say it out loud, but you go to someone's car and it's messy. I mean, you're judging them. You're judging their spiritual life. You're judging their pride, right? I, I don't know about, for me, one of the things that I, uh, confession, I, I like to, judge, or I don't like to judge, I just do judge, is how people vacuum. I don't know if you're like this or not. Like, with my kids, we have hardwood floors now, but we had carpet. My kids would kind of just vacuum as if they were, like, blind wombats, kind of just pushing the thing around. And I like, like, you know, like Jesus vacuumed, where it's a very clean uh, lines, right? Because, I don't know, there's something just about, even if you don't even turn the vacuum on, the fact that there's lines just makes it feel like Safer, I don't know, just confession. Uh, some of you guys, you want to control what people think about you. If you're honest, right? You want people to see you a certain way, and so your weapon of choice is social media. You handcraft everything so that people see you the way you want them to see you, so you only show them what you want to show them, right? Here's an important takeaway for today. The more you try to be in control, the more you try to be in control, the more you will fear losing control. Right? The more you try to control, the more you'll fear losing control. The more you fear losing control, the more you'll try to control. Isn't that true? Think about your, 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 your work situation. Think about your kids. Think about your career. Think about your neighbor that is always just being them. The more you try to control, the more you'll fear losing control. The more you fear losing control, the more you'll try to control. How's it working out for you? How's that working out for you? Good for your soul? Feel closer to God? Come on, there's a better way. This is all of us to some degree, right? And so this is a simple idea. It's not an easy idea. It takes incredible faith, but it's a simple idea. The idea is this, that you won't always have the power to control, but you'll always have the power to surrender. You won't always have the power to control, but you will always have the power to surrender. You don't have control. That's the illusion of it. You realize that you don't have control. You cannot get your kids to do what you want, right? Maybe in front of you you can get compliance, but you're not going to, you don't want compliance. I mean, maybe the moment you do, but you really want their hearts to be shaped a certain way, right? In your work environment, with your neighborhood, with the, this church, whatever you put your hands to, you don't, you don't really want control, I think your intentions are good. You wanted to move a certain way because you care. Because you care. But you can't get people to do what you want them to do. You, can't, you can barely control you. 
You can't control people. You can't get the stock market to do what they want you to do. You can't get crypto to do what you I mean. Those of you guys that got in crypto, I'm sorry. We'll pray for you. It's been, a, it's been a rough road, right? You can't get your spouse to do what you want them to do. You can't get the doctor to give you the report you, you want them to give you. But you always have the power to surrender. You always have the power to surrender. We look at Mary and go, man, it's easy for Mary. I mean, it's Mary. Mary from the Bible, right? But here's the thing. She was a teenager. She's a teenager, barely a teenager. Most theologians believe she was probably 13 or 14 years old. Think about that. That's a whole other conversation about, like, how do we feel about that? About a 13-year-old getting married off. But that's a whole other conversation for another day. A 13-year-old, full of dreams, full of dreams, picturing her, her marriage, picturing what her kids are going to be like, picturing what her future family is going to look like, what her house is going to look like, all that stuff. I mean, a 13-year-old is when you practice your signature, right? That, that's that age, right? And then you have an angel coming to Mary and going, hey, yeah, it's not going to go down like that. All those dreams, that's for somebody else, man. That's not going to be your story. It's not going to make any sense. There's going to be a whole lot of seasons of confusion, a whole lot of times you're going, what in the world is happening? Maybe you're somebody, you, had, you were done at two kids, right? You, had, you collected each, and you're done. And then here comes a bonus kid. You're going, I was not planning for this. Or maybe you're the opposite where you wanted kids, not happening. What do you do with that? Maybe you thought the job was going to be perfect, you just switched different companies, and now you're going, this, this time it's going to be different, and it's not looking any different. What do you do with that? Maybe it's an empty chair at the table this time of the year that wasn't empty before. What do you do with that? In a lot of ways, life happens in ways that we did not pan out. It could be a relationship issue, it could be a financial issue, but if you are honest right now, you are disturbed and confused. You got some questions for God. If you got to look at Mary right now as a 13-year-old, she didn't have any answers. She didn't have any, uh, she didn't have any clarity. She didn't know what was going to happen, but she, all she saw was confusion. So here's what Mary had to do. In the middle of that confusion, she doesn't get the benefit of seeing 2,000 years later how it was all going to work out because we, we know what happens right? She didn't. All she saw was awesome. Great. Why me? I don't feel blessed. I don't feel highly favored. Mary had to choose her dream or God's path. Choose, right? Mary had to choose her plans or God's purpose. Choose, Mary. Mary had to choose between her control, her limited control, and God's calling, she had to choose. And you got to choose too. And here's what I love about Mary. Even though she didn't have any understanding of the plan, even though the angel did a really bad job of explaining this to her, right? There was no compensation package. There was no six-month plan. There was no review, right? There's no promise of anything. She believed that God was up to something, disturbed and confused, and in the middle of all that, in the middle of her asking a question, and then the angel's answer was woefully unhelpful. Like if you go back and read the story, of like, how's it going to happen? I'm a virgin. And then the angel gives an answer that makes no sense. It makes no sense to us today. It made really no sense to a 13-year-old. Yet she goes, okay, that was a non-answer, but sure, let's do that. Right? And then the angel left. That was a whole conversation. Here's an important thing to take away. There's no such thing as partial surrender. 
There's no such thing as partial surrender. Either you trust God with everything or you don't. Either you trust God with your health, with your finances, with your relationships, or you don't. So question I want to bother you with, what's, what's your desire to control rooted in? For you. Not for the person next to you, not for me, but what is your desire to control rooted in? I've wrestled with this, and you know what it is for me? It's a lack of faith. Ultimately, for me, my desire to control is a lack of faith. What I found is that the more I overestimate my ability to control, the more I underestimate the power of God. The more I overestimate my ability to control, even though my track record isn't great, right? And God's is way better than mine. But even though every time I overestimate my ability to control, I underestimate the goodness of God. I underestimate the love of God. I underestimate the power of God. So culture tells me, Taka, you have to make it happen. You got to white knuckle it. You got to rise and grind, hustle. You got to make it work, right? This way we're all raised. But Jesus taught a different way. He said in Matthew chapter 10, he said, if you cling to your life, you'll what? Lose it. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. If you try to control your kids, you'll lose them. If you try to control your boss, you'll lose your job. You try to control your employees, you try to control the narrative, you'll lose that employee. Right? You try to control it, you try to cling to it, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life, you'll find it. So to follow Jesus is to surrender control. Let it be. And surrendering control is not a one-time decision. It's a daily choice. This is why Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, he didn't say pray a prayer once 20 years ago and you're good. So one of the things we do at our church, we don't do a, you know, kind of like a la Billy Graham I'm going to count down from three, raise your hand. I'm going to, it's going to be the slowest countdown from three you've ever heard in your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed, right? And then raise your hand. The reason why we don't do that at our church, outside of a rare occasion, is the last thing I want someone to do is think that following God means praying a magical prayer once. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus never said, you want to be my disciple? Pray this prayer. Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? Okay. Pick up your cross, lay down your rights, follow me every day. So here's a question for you. You may have surrendered to God days, months, weeks, years. For me, it's March 11th, 1995. Okay. So you may have surrendered to God a while ago. Great. I don't mean great, like condescendingly. Great. What about today? I can't tell you how many people I've met that's like, you know, I helped pay for this building. I helped build, you know, pay for these chairs 25 years ago. My great, okay, cool. But did you realize you don't look or sound like Jesus today? So you were generous and kind and uh, other-centered 15 years ago. Pin a rose on your nose. Today, you're kind of a jerk, right? So you surrendering 15 years ago won't help you today. Surrender is a daily choice. And even in Mary's short little span we see in the Christmas story, she had to surrender to God's plan over and over and over again. So in that moment, she's like, okay, God, or angel, Gabriel, let it be, right? And then she needed to have a, go have a conversation with her fiance, Joe. I mean, think about that, right? So she's going up to Joseph, 
who's an older man than her. She's, she's not like high school romance, right? He's a bit older, a little, probably a little more intimidating, right? And, and she's like, hey, I'm not pregnant yet, but I'm going to be, and it's not yours. It's going to be God's baby. Like, oh, if you don't want to get married, just like if you're planning on cheating, just say it. Like how weird of a conversation like to, to tell me that you're going to cheat on me. Like that's really a strange thing, right? But she has to surrender that moment. When Joseph's family comes out, I guarantee Joseph's mom had a little heart to heart, right? Hey, Joseph, talk to me. You're planning on getting pregnant uh, with not Joseph before the wedding? You want to talk about that? And in that moment, Mary over and over again had to, I surrender, God. I surrender, God. This makes no sense as she's getting fitted for her wedding dress and they have to let it out a little bit because they don't know what size she's going to be, right? We, we sing in a song, round young virgin, right? She's round, right? That is a shape. Pear-shaped is a shape. And that's where she was at on her wedding day. This is not what she had planned. Surrendered surrendered. And then they're having to figure out life on the run. Having birth, giving birth in a barn. It smelled like a barn. This does not smell like the Hyatt. This smells like a barn because there's situations with animal dirt happening all around you, right? This is not what she dreamed. And then they're on the run because the king wants to kill your kid. You hear about all these children getting murdered because the king wants to kill your kid. Surrender, surrender, disturbed, confused, and surrender. And again, Mary needed to realize over and over again, you don't always have the power to, to control, but you have the power to surrender. There were so many things outside Mary's control. About all that Mary could control was her willingness to surrender. Now, when I fast forward a few decades, Jesus, now full grown, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Stress overflowing, capillaries bursting from the Bible says they sweat droplets of blood. He's so stressed out, right? Anointed Messiah, blessed, favored. There's that moment just a few years earlier where Jesus is getting baptized by his cousin and you hear the voice of God say, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Favored, blessed, anointed Messiah, fulfillment of hundreds of years, thousands of years of prophecy. And yet Jesus says the same thing that his mom prayed three decades earlier. It says in Luke chapter 22, it says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. In other words, hey, if there's any other way this could go down, this is not my ideal choice. This is not, and it's kind of weird to picture Jesus saying that. This is what he said. If you're willing, Hey, like, if, if I have a vote, I'd like it to go a different way. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Let it be. I'm confused, obviously disturbed. There's droplets of blood on the ground saying how disturbed I am, saying how confused I am. But God, let it be. Soon after that, he's beat within an inch of his life, hanging on a cross. And do you know who's there when Jesus is on the cross? Mary. Mary. She's a little bit older at this point. This isn't Mary the teenager. This isn't even Mary the disciple of Jesus. You know what this is? This is Mary the mom still. And she's kind of has this like tension inside of her because on one side she's mama bear, right? She will kill anybody for her kid. 
But on the other side, she's just a mom watching her kids suffer, watching her kid get beat, watching her kid go through pain. And you know what it's like when you see your kid sick. We've all prayed it, right? Those of us have kids. You've all, when your kid has the flu or they get hurt or they got bullied or whatever situation you're going, I will take that on for them. I wish I could take on that pain so they could not be. This is Mary. This is Mary going, this isn't what I wanted for my son. I'm seeing Mary have flashbacks of holding baby Jesus going, what happened? This isn't the path Mary wanted. We don't know where Joseph's at. We hear nothing about Joseph. We don't know if he passed away, if he left the family. We don't know what's going on, but all we know is that she's a single mom at this point. Joseph's nowhere in the picture. This is not what Mary had dreamed. Blessed and highly favored. You know, we talked about earlier where, where Gabriel said, you're blessed and highly favored. The Lord is with you. You know, I think it's, right, it's so important that Gabriel said the Lord is with you. Because if anybody was looking at Mary's life, they would assume the Lord had left her. And he needed Mary to know things aren't going to make a whole lot of sense a lot of your life. But you need to know the Lord is with you. You can't let your circumstances allow you to determine whether God is with you or not. So, blessed and highly favored, yet disturbed and confused. And then Jesus prays, you know, into your hand I commit my spirit. There's this idea that when you're in God's will, you'll always have peace. I've heard this my whole Christian life. Again, we talked about before, like, man, I have a peace about it. How do you know this is God's will or this career path or this decision? Well, I just have a peace about it. Okay. Let me give you a little, just a biblical insight, all right, uh, if you never thought about it before. You know, you know Jonah? Remember Jonah? Uh, kind of uh, went the, literally went the opposite direction where God was asking him to go. And the ship started to sink, right? What was Jonah doing? Sleeping. He was sleeping like a baby. Didn't even realize a ship was going down. Didn't hear all the sailors like crying to their mom because they're about to die. He was fast asleep. Complete peace. Yet in complete disobedience to what God was asking him to do. And then you have Jesus and you have Mary who are in the center of God's will. Sweating blood. Disturbed and confused. Distress is not proof that you are outside of God's will. Confusion is not proof that you are outside of God's will. Mary would disagree with that whole idea that peace is a determination of God's will. Jesus would disagree. So here's a big question I want you to think about. What is it that you're trying to, trying to control that God wants you to surrender? Think about it, Honestly. What are you trying to control that God wants you to surrender? Now, here's the thing. I, I don't think that you need to think about it for really long. I think you already know, right? Your friends may not know, your roommate, your spouse, they may not really, they might have an inkling, but you know, you know, it's eating you up. See, God can do way more with your surrender than he can do with your control. I know you're super smart. I know you're really competent. I know you're really wise. You're experienced. You're awesome. I get it. 
But God can do way more with your surrender than you can through your control. Last thought is this. What's heavy in your heart is much better off in his hand. The thing that's heavy in your heart, that's probably surfaced multiple times, even while we're talking in right now in, the, in, in church this morning. The thing that's surfaced over and over again. <sighs> I need to surrender that to God. Yeah. So do it. And you know what? Later on today, you'll probably have to surrender it again. And tomorrow morning, you'll have to surrender it again. And when you try to control it again tomorrow afternoon, you're going to need to surrender it again. And over and over until you develop a new habit of surrender instead of a habit of control. You don't have to. You can keep going down the path you're going. Again, how's that working out for you? God's got a better way. For me, I've had to repent a lot this week thinking about this message because I try to control a lot in my life. In my personal life, my relationships, and my family. Man, my kids just do not believe and think and do everything I want them to do and think and believe. It's, it's almost like they're separate human beings, right? They don't do everything. The staff of the church, the, the economy, it doesn't do everything I want it to do. And I don't understand why. I've prayed about it. I've worked hard. It doesn't work out the way I want it to work out. And in my church, here, here's the thing for, for you guys. I want so much for you. But there's a journey you have to walk as Peninsula Hope that you have to walk through. And it's going to be confusing, as we, at times disturbing, as, as I'm sure it's been already for the decades that you, for those of you guys that have been part of the church for a long time. Whole lot of, wait, God, why is it, why this way? Why isn't it, I remember when, and how come it isn't, or how, God, why? Okay, disturbed and confused, but can you surrender? Can you surrender fully to him? We can say, amen, Mary needed to. Okay, you, you, can you surrender? Or does it have to be exactly the way you wanted it to be? Does it have to be exactly the way you planned it to be? I know that your best life will be when you surrender fully to God. See, but I can't control you. So I have to surrender you to God, trusting that you will surrender to God. That's a weird irony, isn't it? I have to pray, God, I surrender this church, I can't control it. I wish you could get this. Like, I wish I could just plug my heart into yours and it just clicks. But you're going to have to go through your own journey. And you know the sad thing? Maybe it's just the way we're designed. A lot of us won't do this until we go through a whole lot of pain first. Right? Because until we go through pain, we're going, I got this. I got this until you use up your bag of tricks, until you, you're so tired, until you've messed up too many times, you end up in like cul-de-sac after cul-de-sac in, in your leadership, and you're going, okay, is the deal still on, God? Can I surrender this? Yes. So he's calling you to walk an adventure of faith, to walk into the unknown. Will you say yes? Will you follow God even when he doesn't give you a plan? Will you say yes to him even when things don't work out the way you want to uh, have them work out? Will you follow God when it's inconvenient? God, will you follow God especially when it's inconvenient? Will you follow God even when you think, man, what will people think when they hear about... Can I be honest with you? Who cares? 
Who cares? I think about like, think about the version of you that first gave their lives to Jesus, right? It could be the high school version, it could be the college, maybe it was last week. But think about that person that, that, that prayed at the altar. No one said to pray these words, but you did intuitively. We prayed, God, whatever you want, whatever you want, I don't need to know the plan. I don't need to have control. I don't, whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do it. Wherever you want, you want me to die in a hut in Africa, I'll do it. Like, that's what I thought God wanted me to do. Because I, I, my theology was so messed up when I first became a believer. I thought it was, what is the last thing I want to do? And then that's what God will make me do. That's like, I've, God's really walked walk me through that. But think about that moment of that ultimate surrender, right? If that person could see you now, what would they feel about your level of surrender to God? Again, I want it to bother you a little bit. But man, don't live your life around what people think about you. Galatians 1.10 talks about, if I still try to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So who cares what people think? Even in the midst of being disturbed and confused, he asks us to trust him. He asks us to say yes. Can I tell you? You can trust him. Some of you guys have been following God way longer than I have. You know this more than I do. You can trust him, right? You can trust him. And I would argue that he's the only one you can actually really trust. He's been good so far, hasn't he? He's still got this. He's still got this. He's still got you. So let me pray uh, for us. But last thought, I, I really, <laughs> this truly is a last thought. Famous last words for pastor, right? The Christmas story is about Jesus emptying himself, right? Paul writes about this, that Jesus emptied himself, not claiming any rights, not claiming any prestige or power or position. He emptied himself for you and for me. What did he empty himself of? His godness? No, he's still fully man, fully God. He emptied himself of control. That's what Jesus was doing. The whole incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, what we celebrate every Christmas with our little nativity scenes is the God of the universe. That Paul writes about that the entire universe is in the palm of his hand. That everything is sustained by him and it moves towards him. That God emptied himself of his rights, of his control, and became a baby. What was it like to change the diaper of God? Think about that. But he did that. And so maybe we can let, let go of some control too. This is the God that we follow. If anybody deserved power, position, control, it was Jesus. And he goes, I give it up. Now go and do likewise. This is our story. This is our path. This is the one we follow. To not fight for it, not to be the Karen talking to the manager. This is not, not our, our right to fight for our position or our authority. Our, our right to follow Jesus is a, is a path of surrender. So we pray for us. God, I just pray. Only you know the intricacies of the stories that we're writing right now. God, you know all the details of our lives, the, the battles that we're fighting you know the things that weigh heavy on our heart. God, I pray for the kindness of God, the patience of God. 
Holy Spirit, I pray, would you show us what it means to surrender to you? Would you give us a well-lit path? But God, we do. Every time we control, we don't mean to. We really do want to surrender to you. So this Christmas season, would you help us to do so? Whenever control rears its ugly head, God, would you remind us that what's heavy in our heart is much better off in your hand. That you can do so much more with our surrender than we can do with our control. And so we do that. God, we surrender today to you. We give it to you, God. Christmas is a reminder that you are good and you know what you're doing way more than us. We thank you. Realign us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's...